So Jesus is with his followers. They've been in Capernaum uh, for a few days, and it's the Sabbath, and so they're heading off to the synagogue. They get to the synagogue, and Jesus gets up uh, to the scroll and begins to teach uh, from the scroll. And he does so with immense authority and power, uh, so much so that people are astounded at the way that this guy who's come from nowhere is teaching them. And as he's speaking in the synagogue, uh, a man who is possessed by a demon uh, begins to cry out. And so Jesus breaks off from his teaching and he commands the spirit to come out of the man. And immediately uh, the the spirit comes out. People are fascinated uh, by this man who speaks with such authority, who has the power to command demons to come out of people. Later on, as uh, Jesus and the disciples are leaving the synagogue, uh, one of uh, the disciples comes running up to Jesus and says, quickly come uh, to Simon's house because Simon's mother-in-law is really ill with a fever. And so they all head off together uh, to Simon's house and they get there and Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law. And by now, the rumors are beginning to spread uh, around the town. People are telling their friends and their neighbors uh, about this guy, Jesus, who's speaking with this authority, who they've heard has healed somebody, who's commanded a demon to come out with somebody in the synagogue. And people start to gather outside Simon's house. They're queuing at their door with their friends and their neighbors and their relatives who also need healing as well, asking Jesus, come and heal our people too. And it's late by the time the crowd disperses, and Jesus and his disciples close the door, having healed many people, and they sit down and they're exhausted. It's been an immense day, and the disciples are just buzzing with the excitement of what they've seen and what they've heard that day, and they go off to bed. Uh, But when they wake up in the morning, Jesus is gone. They look everywhere for him because the crowds have already begun to gather again at the door, wanting to hear from Jesus, wanting uh, to see him heal the many other ill or or, or spirit-filled people in a bad way that they've brought with them uh, uh, to be healed by him. But where is Jesus? Why would he disappear? Why would he disappear when there's so much to do? They look around the town. They can't find him anywhere. Why would he go at the height of his fame. And after some time searching uh, for him, they discover Jesus far out of the town in a solitary place, and Jesus is praying. And the disciples who have found him, they nudge Simon, you know, go over, you go and say something to him. And Simon goes over to Jesus and says, come on, come on, you know, everybody is looking for you, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus looks at Simon and says this, let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That's why I've come. I wonder what questions uh, this passage raises for you. For me, I want to know what is the significance of Jesus going off on his own so early in the morning when there is so much ministry still to do in Capernaum? Why does Jesus leave that town when people are like crazy for him and there's still so much to do? I wonder what questions raise for you from that passage. I wonder if actually a lot of our questions, a lot of my questions about this passage 
hinge on one important moment of the events that Mark records. The moment in verse 35, which says this. Very early in the morning, while it was dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. What is the significance of the fact that Jesus takes himself off to pray? Now, some of you might at this moment be thinking, I know what this is all going to be about this morning. We all need to just take time out to go off and be with God and to pray. But do you know my life? You're thinking, do you know my life? Do you know what my relationship with God is like at the moment? That's not going to happen. I get it. The thought of disappearing for like, you know, any time at all, let alone the whole morning, early in the morning, when there's sleep to be had, lunches to be made, children to be got up, uh, breakfast to make, lost things to be found. Why is it that if you've got kids, they always lose the things they need for school in that morning, in that moment, um, work to get to? Disappearing for 10 minutes, let alone uh, a couple of hours, is just not going to happen, is it, in lots of our lives? But bear with me, because I think that God wants to speak to us this morning, and particularly through this verse where Jesus takes himself off to pray. There may be just one thing, one encouragement, one challenge, one word, uh, where God speaks to you through this passage this morning. One thing that you just sit there and think, yeah, that's for me. Because the way that Jesus takes himself off to pray in this really busy, hectic moment of his life, I think profoundly speaks into our lives as Jesus' disciples today. I think it challenges us about four things that we're going to focus on this morning. Firstly, prioritizing God. Secondly, slowing down. Thirdly, about stepping off the sort of treadmill that we're on. And fourthly, about boundarying our busyness. So we're just going to look at those four things from this passage this morning. So firstly, prioritizing God. I'm an activist. If you know me, you will know that. I am an activist. Um, I love being busy, and I hate doing nothing. I, don't, I do not get this whole thing that, like, Rachel Moody does, uh, where she spends a day off in her pajamas watching Netflix all day. Uh, that is a weird and alien thing. In fact, I can think of nothing worse uh, than that myself. I, I love a list. Even on my day off, I'm like, oh, I need a list of things that I can achieve today. Um, I want want to achieve. That's, uh, that's how I use my time. I wonder what you're like. I wonder if you're a procrastinator like Rachel Moody. Sorry, Rachel. I love her, really. Uh, or an activist uh, like me. I don't think there's anything wrong with either way, in a, in a sense, as long as there are some boundaries around it. But we'll look at boundaries in a minute. Uh, the problem comes, if you're an activist like me, is if our activism, if our doing, if our busyness becomes our identity. So many of us find our identity in our busyness, in our work, in our volunteering, in the way that people know who we are. We find our identity in our reputation at work or amongst your friends or whatever, in our ability to be a super mum or a super dad or a super grandparent, in our ability to be the best we can be at whatever it is we do. 
Jesus, in our passage, has just done some incredible things in Capernaum. He's done some incredible activity, if you like. He has taught with such authority, people are awestruck by him. He's cast out demons from ordinary people. He's healed numerous people in just that one day, all in one town, all in one day. And that is a pretty impressive day's work by anybody's standards, I think. Jesus is like the top of his game in terms of the business of God. He could have cast shadows over any other would-be Messiah that was hanging around Israel at that time. And yet Jesus knew that his identity was not in his activity. Jesus knew that his identity was not in his activity. Remember that only just a short time before, Jesus had been stood in the River Jordan being baptized by John. And the voice comes from heaven declaring this, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved son. Jesus knew his identity and his activity sprang from his identity. And even though he must have been really tired by the next morning from all that activity that he'd been doing the day before, Jesus prioritizes getting up early. And we're talking like super early here, not just an extra 10 minutes sneaking out before everybody gets up, but actually he gets up properly early in the morning while it's still dark. And he takes himself away, away from all the activity, all the demands, all the people, all the busyness. And he takes himself off to a solitary place to pray. In the busyness, he prioritizes time with God. And this is something that Jesus does elsewhere as well. Um, Later on in Mark, after uh, Jesus has fed, 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 fed the 5,000. Uh, this incredible public miracle in front of everybody. Uh, people are hanging on his every word. They're demanding, they're listening, they're wanting to see more miraculous things happen. When he's eventually left them, Mark tells us that Jesus goes up on a mountainside to pray. Jesus steps out of the activity, the demands, the crowds, and he prioritizes time out with God. Uh, recently, uh, an issue came up in my family, uh, which was causing me to really worry and get stressed about. And I'm not normally uh, a worrying, stressy type person. I just sort of, you know, go with the flow generally. Uh, but I began to really fear each day and the implications of the situation uh, that was happening at that time. And it really started to overwhelm me in a way that I really didn't like. Um, I just thought, this is not how God wants me to live. God doesn't want me to be somebody who is identified by fear. And, but because of the sort of melee of life and work, even though we were praying and I was giving it to God, it just felt like I wasn't really uh, completely giving it over to God. And I got to the point where I needed to step out. I needed to step out of that place and prioritize God in that situation. So I took half a day away, half a day, it wasn't away, it was actually in my house, but it was half a day on my own, uh, just to deliberately ask God to be in this situation and to give him the fear that I was feeling inside. And so for half a day, I did that. And I just gave God my fears and I heard what he had to say to me in it all. 
And incredibly, just that giving that time to God and giving the situation over to God, it made a massive difference. Just a few days later, I sort of was able to think, gosh, I just feel really different. It's like God's given me a new perspective on this situation. It didn't feel an overwhelming burden that it was feeling only a few days before. So prioritizing God in the midst of stress, in the midst of busyness, in the midst of any difficult situation, in the midst of just normal life, reminds us who we are in Christ. It reminds us how much we're loved. It reminds us to shift our focus from the immediate to the eternal. It might mean literally that our plans shift or change too. Incredible things happen when we prioritize God and ask him to be involved in our lives. So firstly, prioritizing God. The second thing that happens is when Jesus takes himself off to pray in that early morning, he slows down. We see him slowing down. Uh, I wonder if you've ever mislaid a child, either your own or somebody else's. Um, Maybe you have. Maybe that incident is already starting to rumble within you, the trauma that it was. I remember ages ago um, having some friends around. This is when I was a child, so they were like family friends around our house. And one of the children disappeared. They were about four years old, so it wasn't a good moment, okay? And we searched everywhere, all the mums and dads and all the children were searching everywhere for this missing child. We went out onto the street and we're literally asking people. I had to run to the news agents down the road to check they aren't gone to get some sweets because that's what we did in those days. Um, and we searched for about 45 minutes for this child. Uh, and then somebody found this child in a wardrobe. Uh, they were playing hide and seek. Nobody else was playing hide and seek, but they were playing hide and seek. And so they were delighted that they'd won. Um, And I just remember the the mum of this child uh, running into this room when somebody said, we found them, we found them. She ran in and she grabbed this child and she was like, I've been so worried and I'm so cross with you. Didn't you hear us calling you? Oh, I just love you. I'm so pleased you're with me. And it's that sort of frantic anxiety delight when you found somebody who was lost at the same time. And I think there's something there that's happening in verses 36 and 37 of our reading, uh, where Simon and his companions tell Jesus this. They say, everyone is looking for you. Jesus, don't you know everybody has been looking for you? There's sort of an element of the frantic, anxious search uh, for that lost person that some of us may know and resonate with. You know, don't you? we've been looking everywhere for you. In the the Greek word, I found out this week, the Greek word for looking uh, that Mark uses is, I'm going to try and pronounce it, is katadiokai. Okay, I can spell it. I I can't pronounce it. Something like that. But it basically means to track down or to hunt. Uh, So the disciples weren't just sort of like wandering around looking for Jesus. They were like tracking him down. They were hunting for him. There's a sense of anxiety and stress um, that the disciples have spent some time searching for Jesus. Uh, They didn't like wake up, realize Jesus was gone, go for a wander down the street, find him in the local park praying on his own five minutes later. It sounds like, it feels like uh, it's been an anxious search over some time for Jesus. And I don't think Jesus like, had a plan to stress out his disciples. He just knew he needed time out, proper time out with his heavenly father. 
A sneaky sort of five minutes, catching five minutes here and there uh, to, to pray in between healings and casting out demons wasn't enough for Jesus. He needed to slow down. He needed to linger in the presence of his heavenly Father. How often do we actually slow down and linger in the presence of God? I'm rubbish at that. Even if I sit down on the sofa to watch an episode of The Crown, which is my favorite program at the moment, even though it's my favorite program, I still will be checking Facebook every few minutes, check I've not missed anything, fear of missing out, FOMO, and all that sort of thing. Um, how often do we linger in the presence of God? In our staff prayers this uh, last Tuesday, Jess, one of our ministry assistants, made us sit in silence for 50 minutes. Uh, we were just to be, just to wait. There wasn't any agenda. There was no things that we had to pray about. We were just being asked to be in God's presence. And when I'm forced to do it, or I make myself do it, I love it. That just being, you know, no distractions, just me and God, giving God some time. And it's funny how when that happens, when we do it, Sometimes we can just get into prayer so much easier because we've slowed down and given ourselves the chance to listen to God and to tell God what is really on our hearts without having to rush off to, some, to something else. Robert Solomon says this. I think this is really uh, quite profound. We are uncomfortable with silence because silence forces us to face God. We are uncomfortable with silence because silence forces us to face God. And so maybe for some of us, God is speaking into our lives this morning and saying, you know, you need to slow down. You need to face the silence because then you'll face me. And for some of us, that will take immense courage. It might involve making changes to our lives. Uh, to the things that we do or don't do, to find that time to slow down and to linger in the presence of God. In Psalm 46, um, the psalmist is speaking into a situation of real turmoil, and he says uh, that God is our refuge and our strength, our very present help in time of trouble. Um, but if we're feeling so overwhelmed by our troubles, if life is so fast or busy, how do we know? How can we know that God is our refuge and our strength or that God loves us deeply? And the psalmist goes on to say this in verse 10. The reason you can know that God is your refuge and your strength, the way that you can know that is to be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. And in that moment of being still, that silence, we're fully dependent on God. It can help us put things into perspective. We discovered that God is indeed Lord of all. He does indeed love us. He is indeed our refuge and our strength. So we see Jesus slowing down and lingering in the presence of his heavenly Father. And the third thing that happens is when Jesus slowed down and prioritized God in the midst of all that madness that was happening in Capernaum, he was able to just step off the treadmill. 
Uh, when, when the disciples find Jesus, uh, they, they say, um, everybody has been looking for you. I think that actually what they meant are, is we have been looking for you. We've been looking everywhere for you because there is a whole crowd of people waiting in Capernaum for you to heal them and to teach them again. And what does Jesus say in response? He says this, let's go somewhere else to a nearby village so that I could preach there also because that's why I came. At the height of his fame, at the height of his ministry in Capernaum, uh, when literally people are queuing at the door of Simon's house to hear him and to be healed by him, when there's still so much to do, Jesus says, let's go somewhere else, shall we? Should we start fresh somewhere else? And I think that this is really significant because I don't know about you, uh, but if I was on a trajectory of success like Jesus was, I would not go to another town. I wonder if you would. I wouldn't bail out and start again somewhere else. It feels like madness to us, doesn't it? Because what we do is we, are, we get success and we build on success and we build on success. We don't step off the treadmill. But remember, Jesus' decision to go to another town springs from the time that he has just spent with his heavenly father, lingering in the presence of God. And so it's on the back of this that he's able to confidently know that it's time to leave. He knows there's still so much to do. He has to go somewhere else. And Jesus' identity, you see, is not based on his popularity or on his work or on, on what he does, but rather, as we've already seen, it flows fully from who he is as the Son of God. It's from this identity that all his authority and power that the people in Capernaum are seeing flows from his identity. It's from his identity that he's able to be faithful to his calling and go forward in the mission that God has given him to proclaim the kingdom of God. And so from a place of spending time with his heavenly father, of being filled up, he's able to make the right decision, not necessarily the most popular one or the easiest one, but the one that is in line with his purpose and his mission. I wonder what that would look like. I wonder what would happen if you were to step off the treadmill and give Jesus that time, time to refresh us, to speak to us. If we gave him the right to challenge the priorities that we have in our lives, what would happen? It's a massive risk, isn't it? A massive risk because Jesus might ask you to do something or be someone or go somewhere that wasn't part of your plan. He might ask you to behave in a way that actually uh, isn't always easy. He might ask you to live your life in line with his biblical standards, not in line with the standards of this world. And that is tough and that is countercultural as well. He might shake you up and move you on or refocus you in a way that you hadn't decided uh, you wanted to do. If you want a safe life, if you want a life doing what you want based on your priorities, then I wouldn't recommend ever saying to Jesus, what can I do, what can I be for you? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Because if you take this risk, you need to be able to follow through, and it might mean stepping off the treadmill. I was thinking about uh, what my life might look like at this point if I hadn't ever said to Jesus, 
what do you want me to be and what do you want me to do? I was thinking I could uh, possibly have uh, be uh, working in some backwater radio station producing really below average radio pro programs. Or I might be like an incredible BBC producer of award-winning documentaries and have just been and received a BAFTA. You know, that's where I could have been if I hadn't said to Jesus, uh, I'll do anything and go anywhere for you. But I'm pretty sure that whatever... I wouldn't have met John, who is my husband, as you know. I wouldn't have had all the exciting adventures of ministry that I've been on for the past 20 years. Uh, and it wouldn't have been easy, and it hasn't been easy, and it hasn't always been straightforward. But every risk, every stepping off the treadmill, every, every reprioritizing, every following down the path, we don't know where it's going, has been worth it. Do we ever stop and get off the treadmill enough to reflect on and allow God to speak to us, to challenge us, to change or affirm our priorities? Uh, starting at the end of April, uh, we're running a, a sort of course. I don't know really, course is the wrong thing, but it's called a retreat in daily life. Um, and it is what it says on the tin. It's a retreat in daily life. So rather than going off for a day or so, or a few days, on a retreat. Uh, the idea is that you have a, a prayer guide who you'll meet with once a week to help you to think about praying and finding that space, that slowing down, that space with God in your daily life over five weeks. And there's information about how to sign up for that in our news and events, or you can speak to Die Hollow uh, as well about it. I really recommend uh, signing up for that. And the last thing that strikes me about Jesus going off to pray on his own is this, his ability to boundary busyness. Let's face it, whoever you and I are, whatever we do, whether uh, you're a student trying to get your head around how on earth you're going to pass your exams when your lecturers are on strike at the moment, or maybe you're a parent uh, investing every minute uh, trying to keep your children alive uh, and not dying yourself in the process, or, or maybe you are somebody who works in the public sector or the private sector or in some sort of business. If you're managing people or every minute of your day feels like high demand or actually every minute of your day is in low demand and you wonder how you're going to fill your day. If you're retired, if you're working, uh, if you have responsibilities for your family, whoever you are and whatever you do, I suspect that we can confidently say that we don't have the mission, the responsibility, and as many lives to change and save as Jesus does. And yet we often act like we do, don't we? We often act that actually that's the case. Jesus had this massive ministry, this massive mission, and he is God. And yet all through his ministry, he boundaries busyness. And he sees that as a priority to keep this healthy rhythm of work and retreat. Work and retreat. Work and retreat. After feeding the 5,000, he goes up the mountainside to pray. After healing and driving out demons in Capernaum, he goes off to a solitary place to pray. After, uh, before choosing the 12 disciples, he goes off on his own to pray. After a period of really intense ministry, he goes up a mountainside to pray and is transfigured. 
in that moment of the Passover in Jerusalem, where it's madness and melee and celebration, in the middle of the Last Supper, he goes off and takes himself to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. Luke says that Jesus often withdrew on his own to lonely places and prayed. He had this boundary to busyness, work and retreat, work and retreat, work and retreat. We're not Jesus, but if he who is fully God and fully human needed to take time away to be with his heavenly father, how much more do we need to keep this as a priority in our lives, to boundary our busyness, to prioritize God, to slow down, to step off the treadmill?